Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to today's episode of Musings with Jesus. My name is Shola. I'm your host. Thank you for joining me. I hope you're well. I hope all is well and good with you where you are, wherever you may be in the world. And um, today I want to talk about um, love. And if this is your first time on this podcast, welcome. This is where we talk about scripture, faith, life, and love in the context of God and what he's doing in my life it's just reflections it's very easy here we speak from the heart and we just we, we, we talk about god and things like that and um yeah i and, and we meditate on scripture verses and then i try to you know god helps me relate it to things going on in my life i think that christianity should be practical you know i think a lot of i think i think a lot of damage has been done to the way in which people view christians non-christians view christians because i think a number of us self-included to a very large extent have been taught to focus on or to make our faith look like something that is not real you know it's just something you say and that that it's not practical you know it's something you believe but that is not practical whereas when you look at scripture i mean in the book of james he talks about Jesus. In fact, even Jesus says that it is, you know, you, you have to be, you have to do the word of God. You know, it's not just something you say. It's something you do. It's something you live out. You know, I mean, Jesus, even with the disciples, immediately they got saved. Jesus got them practicing faith, practicing love, practicing righteousness. You know, it's not just enough to say, I believe in Christ, but you're not doing anything that Christ said, you know. And um, I, I think... I there's a strong correlation between teaching and practicing the word of God because I've noticed that wherever there is strong theological backing, as in a church that is very focused on teaching the unadulterated word of God, not following an agenda of what people, you know, what you think people should know, but what you know that the Bible teaches, the people in that congregation will tend to be practicing the word of God much more. For instance, in the in, in the early days of Christian Christian revival in, in Nigeria, we were raising disciples. So everybody was being taught what it needed to be a disciple. I was a member of a student fellowship then in the eighties um, in at university, and we were being taught exactly the way Jesus taught his disciples. That was how we were being taught. So we went, we did evangelism. It was normal to do evangelism. It was normal to go into villages and preach to people. It was normal to lay hands on the sick as we were doing so. We didn't think that it was something that only ministers or pastors or things needed to do because we were taught that way. But now we're not being taught that way. Therefore, we're not doing it. I mean, that this is just my observation. Looking back 30, 40 years, you know, 30 years really, I would say. You know, so I, I see that right now what we're being taught is to worry about our um, our financial situations. You know, in fact, it's all about oh healing. Well, not it's good to talk about healing because you need to be healthy, otherwise you won't be here. But it's even more. In fact, it's even less about physical about healing. Really, it's more about finances, particularly where I come from, because the, the I mean the economic situation is really really bad. So that has been the hook that is being used is, is, is the bedrock of our theology whereas if you look at the bible god says that your father in heaven i mean i think that's matthew 6 he knows that you have this need that he knows that the same god that 
um, you close the flowers and the trees and you know provides seed for the birds that he knows what we need I mean he knows that we need food for the body he knows that we need clothes for our backs that we need a roof over our heads he knows that our children need to go to school he knows that and the counsel that Jesus gave us that we should seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and all these things shall be added unto us but rather what we see happening in our world today in faith circles is people from the pulpit being taught to seek the uh, the other things before you know as part of the righteousness of the kingdom uh, that's not exactly what Jesus in fact that's not what Jesus said Jesus said we should seek first of all the kingdom and its righteousness and then all these things will be added so it's as we seek God as we seek the kingdom and the righteousness of God in Christ that is when God will bless us. It's not the other way around. But what I believe, this is my view, what I believe that the devil is doing, walking unconsciously and consciously through human um, vehicles, is that, I mean, the devil is, in, is conscious, but he's walking through people who are either consciously or unconsciously. In fact, I believe that many of the people he's walking through are actually consciously submitting to him. They know what the Bible says, but they're deliberately, you know, portraying something different. Because it suits their own selfish purposes and of, and unwitting unknowing to them, it also suits the agenda of the enemy. Well, they may know, they may not know. But the point is, what Jesus said is that if you're going to get yourself, what he's trying to say is that, you know, there will always be problems on this earth. You will always have challenges. And that if you're going to allow those challenges to be, you know, to, to be what you are living for, you will, you, you will never ever... You will fall into the snare of the enemy. I will fall into the snare of the enemy. That's what he's telling me. That's what he's telling all of us. Because the devil knows how to bring complexity into our lives to keep us busy and distracted from what God will have us do and from what we should be doing. Because I think for me, the key thing is not just about this is what God wants. It's about this is what, this is the right thing. And I I keep on saying this because I think the context of right and wrong cannot be fully understood until we continue to, until I, I mean for me well let me speak for myself, this is the way I, I realized, I realized that my understanding and the, 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 the day I became more aware or when I began to become more progressively aware about the fact that there is a cosmic battle that predates my existence it then makes me more conscious that as I yield myself to certain things, it's not just Shola making a choice for herself it's about Shola yielding to an agenda, to forces that are on one side or the other. There is good and evil in the world. And each and every one of us, every day, the choices, the decisions that we make, play either to the agenda of God or to the agenda of the enemy. It's just the truth. There is no Shola's choice. In choosing, it's just like how Eve chose, she chose to eat the fruit. It was her choice, but it was also the devil's choice. It was a choice for the devil. And until we begin to look at life that way, I don't think it would be it would be possible for us to live to the standard that God expects. It would not even be possible for us to win in God terms. For me now, I have gone beyond looking at my physical life and thinking about it that oh, you know, I want to win on this earth. I want this. I want to achieve this. To be honest, I I wasn't really that kind of person. I think I dropped that many years ago. But I think now it's even more than before. And I think even when I wanted to achieve it was more about i think peer pressure i would say it was more because okay that's what everybody was doing and, and i didn't want to 
you know you, nobody wants to be left behind and you just want to you, you know you just want to continue showing that there's progress in your life and of course we all want progress but now because of some of the things that i've gone through some of the things i've experienced i now realize that what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul i've seen that i've seen that there's nothing that you can give in exchange for your soul and that sometimes even when you have all your physical and material needs met if you are troubled in your soul or you are diseased in your soul or you are hurting in your soul or you are depressed in your soul it doesn't matter so i have come to realize that the worth of a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he has and all this i'm saying this is what jesus said these are the scriptures i mean it's holy ghost that is bringing all this out jesus said this the worth of a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things he has so as far as god is concerned if there is a scale a, a balance scale that on one side carries the worth of my life and on the other side is looks at the uh, abundance of things i have they will not be matched because god looks at the worth of my life weighs it in with a different lens and different currency than my material possessions and investments and assets and you know cash balances and all that but we even as christians these days we look at the worth of a man's life through the abundance of things he has. That is how we gauge and we estimate how people are blessed or whether they are loved by God. We don't, we don't even look at the morality of their lives, whether they walk in love, whether they are the most devilish people, the most manipulative, the most evil. Once somebody is, is materially prosperous and it looks like the person is building things, getting things, we assume that that means that that person is a good person. I mean, really, where in scripture do we get that? In fact, the only place where that we used to get get something similar to that is in the old testament where it says you know you will be blessed because you 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 know you do certain things you obey the commandment but the righteousness will have come first we will see you obeying the commandments of god like a daniel like a joseph you know we will have seen you doing all of that and then the god's blessings will follow so is there is no way in scripture from genesis to revelation that you see people's lives just being blessed and then there is no god obedience and submission going with it that when you see that blessings without um, faith righteousness and all that then you know that the blessing did not come from god because the devil himself has the ability to in quotes bless people if you know what i mean they're not blessed to gift people gift yes that's the word the devil cannot bless the devil has the ability to gift people with to give people material things because the power, the wealth of the earth was delivered to him through Adam. So if we, anyways, this is a massive digression, but I think this is where we're going. Um, the Lord wants to go. So I wanted to preach about, um, talk about love, not preach. Actually, let's talk about love and reflect on love. And in First Corinthians 13, and I think even though I was thinking of talking about love, I think this is more like a reflection on faith, righteous, love and righteousness. Christianity is a professional faith is a lifestyle of believing god and believing his word doing that word practicing it practicing forgiveness practicing holiness practicing social justice practicing speaking up for what is right practicing courage boldness practicing righteousness giving to the poor practicing being a good neighbor clothing the praying for the sick and clothing and praying for those um, who persecute you that's Christianity. 
being a, a, a positive force and influence in your community that's Christianity and I'm speaking to myself here I read a tweet, a, a, a tweet a quote on Twitter which was really profound for me the person said Western Christianity I will, I, will substitute, I will substitute that for modern Christianity but the person may be right but let me say modern Christianity so that it doesn't look as if I'm um, finger pointing a particular people he said modern Christianity has perfected the art of teaching us how to be good people without being good to others I found it so profound because honestly that is what has happened so it is a very demonic thing because you find Christians today totally self-absorbed You, when you look at them yes they could say I do not lie I do not steal I'm a very honest person I'm morally upright I'm a good citizen I pay my taxes I do all of that but they withhold their goodness the goodness in Christ from I mean as in that they're, they're not they're not huh, they're not practicing love to other people in other words they are blind to the suffering of people around them they, in their communities they're not known they are living a life that is focused on me myself my family and my goodness you know we're good citizens that's enough so in the scheme of things you can't say they are bad but then they're not living the Christian life by God's standard. So, and I'm affected by this as well because everything I've just described to you now, that's me. I found it profound because it was me. So I am just learning now to begin to give of myself to people and particularly to people who are not like me. I'm just learning because I just realized that a lot of my life I have been listening to the wrong things i have been taught the wrong things so i'm going back to scripture now to teach what to to learn what god himself said and not just what he said in one place but what he said in several places the bible says in the mouth of two or three weaknesses every word and every whatever will be, will be justified so i am seeing it and there's a the funny thing is that whenever you set your heart to read the bible for yourself it's very self-affirming it doesn't leave you in doubt as to what it's saying Particularly, I mean, because we're reading First Corinthians, they're very plain. Particularly when you read things like Matthew, the doctrines that have to do with how I should relate as a Christian on earth, there, there is no mystery about it. He speaks, God speaks plainly, Jesus speaks plainly, so that it is clear what he's saying. Sometimes he even goes to explain and explain and explain. So it's clear. The Bible, you know, we know. But somehow we pay attention to you know, a lot of this is not being paid attention to. And I believe that as God awakened me too, he's also awakened so many other people. At the end of the day, they, they, I mean, it's, there's, it's, it's not what matters in, in Christianity is righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, very, very important. Righteousness is, a, is something that we receive by faith. There's a spirit of righteousness that we receive by faith, by receiving Christ. But there are the works of righteousness also those works are very important and God expects both in fact what he's going to judge after um, at the end of days for all of us is the works of righteousness it's not the profession of righteousness not the profession of faith God is not going to be saying okay just once you say you're a Christian come to this side it's the works Every, everywhere the judgment of God is written in the Bible it makes it clear that it's the works that he's judging it's the works and maybe this is the subject of another musing that we'll do let's look at how the end of the judgment is because 
I think we're all, we are two, the Bible says want, Amos, the book of Amos says want to them that are at ease in Zion. We are two at ease, we modern day Christians. We're not even ready. We're not ready. We're not living ready. Even as horrible as the world is, even during COVID itself, people were still not living ready. We're so invested in this earth. I keep, it's almost like if Jesus was able to come in the rapture, now Christians would be like, please, please don't come here until we're not ready. I haven't, you know, I haven't done all I want to achieve on this earth. You know, I've not bought my house. don't bought my Ferrari. We're not even waiting. We're not even praying for the Lord's return. So what have we become? A very worldly church. But I'll just leave it there. Let me just read 1 Corinthians 13. I'm almost out of time. So this is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. And he's talking about love. He had already spoken about the gifts of the spirit, tongues, and so many other power gifts. And I think because he realized that most people, when they when we read about all those you know, writings about the power, gifts, the Holy Spirit, the things that God can enable us to do. You know, we, we there's the natural tendency for us to focus on those, in quote, superhuman and supernatural things. And then, you know, leave what is fundamental and what is really, you know, the core of what God is. And so he then balances it by really talking about love. And this entire chapter, chapter 13, is dedicated to that. So he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels and I do not have love, I'm reading from the very beginning. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. That's as far as God is concerned. You have gained nothing. I have gained nothing. So verse 4, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it doesn't boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease, and it's the truth. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. I love these scriptures because it's saying the truth. Anybody that experiences the spiritual gift that has a little bit of this gift of prophecy, you know this. You only know in part. You prophesy in part. There are things that even you know God reveals to me sometimes. It is when the manifestation comes that I now realize the full gamut, at least full in quotes. Most of the time, the prophecy is just a little. It's, it's, it's in parts. That's just it. Sometimes it's 1%. Sometimes it's 0.00%. But it will look so big to you that it's receiving the prophecy. But it's just, God is just giving you a glimpse of the bigger picture. It's only God that sees the bigger picture. So we see in part, we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, that's what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I, th- I, I, I reasoned like a child. When I become a man, I put it. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Verse twelve. For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. But then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Paul is really spitting some bars here. I mean, this is some profound truths he's saying here, and he's saying that look, on this side of eternity, we'll be limited in what we see and what we know. Even with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the knowledge of God, we are all limited, regardless of the power of God in your life. So long as I know Jesus the Christ, you are seeing in part, you are knowing in part. And if you have a problem, and if I have a problem accepting that, then really there's something wrong with me. You know what I'm saying? We see in part, we know in part. 
But it says that when in the fullness of time, by the time, you know, the new heaven and earth, we are reconciled to God, we receive the incorruptible body after we leave this earth, after we leave this body, then, you know, there will be a more complete picture. But until then, we need to know that we are only seen in part and we need that humility. And it says in verse 13, and this is where he brings it to a close. He says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but that the greatest of this is love. So in verse 8, he says, love never fails. And I think for me, what he's saying here, because he says, even if you do all of these things, but that if you do not have love, even in your heart, it's not love that is motivating all that we're doing. Then as far as God is concerned, we have gained nothing, we have profited nothing. And we see this in the um, in the in the end of this judgment when Jesus was talking to some people who said, Oh, your name, we cast out devils, devils, we did this, we did that. And Jesus said, Depart from me, I, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. So even though one doesn't really know what circumstances, you know, were behind that statement that Jesus says, but he says one, he never knew them. Two, they were workers of iniquity. So somehow in the physical, it's either those people were lying, saying that they had done what they didn't do, or they were doing those things physically, but their motives, their intent was not clean. They did not have the love of God. Therefore, like verse um, 3 says, it profited them nothing. Jesus denied them on the last day. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. So in my personal life, I have found that love really never fails. I found out that in every situation where I was faced with a very contentious relationship or a situation, whenever I kid into the love of God, in other words, if it's somebody that is despitefully using me and persecuting me, like the book of, I think it's Matthew or John that refers to that, I think I, I pray for them. That's what the Bible, I pray that over that situation. I pray over that situation. And I've seen that it never fails me. God protects me. God delivers me. In fact, I've seen God take me away from some of those kind of relationships in such a way that he put a barrier between me and that um, relationship so that whatever it is they intended to do, they, they will not be able to do. But he will do it in a way that it is not me. Do you understand? I'm not taking action. He takes it out of my hands. So when we say love never fails, it doesn't mean that God keeps us unprotected and we just do things in love and people are just battering you. No, it means that we are inviting God into the situation for him to handle it. He handles it. God takes care of business. You know, Mr. Fix-It, Jesus, uh, God is the ultimate Mr. Fix-It. But I think what I learned, particularly in the situation or what I am learning, this kind of situations, you know, like difficult relationships and things that are toxic relationships, evil relationships, things that should be, should not be in your life. I have found that it gets handled better when I invite God in, in the spirit of love. And then it also makes me able to walk away from that situation without bitterness in my in my heart. Because, in fact, that prayer is actually more a prayer for myself so that I do not get caught up in the emotions, negative emotions around whatever it is that is happening. So I'm also learning that when I'm in those situations difficult relationships, difficult situations, toxic relationships, evil relationships, whatever you may call it, I am also learning now to be more prayerful, not just because of the situation, but because of myself. The Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. I cannot afford my heart to be bitter. I can't afford it to have any negativity. I can't afford it to be in a situation where it is unable to function 
in this love of God that is described in 1 Corinthians 13. So I'll just leave it there. Love never fails. And I will encourage you to please read the scripture again. I think it's something that is worth reminding ourselves. Remember that God says that even if we give our body over to hardship, that we may boast. Even if we do all the greatest and wonderful works, if we do not have love, then we gain nothing. And it says love is even greater than faith. Can you imagine that? I'm just thinking about that because, I mean, Hebrews 11:6 has told us that without faith is impossible to please God and that he that comes to God, you know, must believe that he is and is a rewarder of them that seek him. So a God that puts so much priority on faith, in fact, we receive Christ by faith, is now telling us that even greater than that faith that he says is, in, you know, you cannot please him without faith, even greater than that faith, the one thing that is greater than it is the love, love of God. And of course, it makes sense because the first, the Ten Commandments, the first commandment, you will love your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind, and Him only shall you serve. Then the second one, love thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus said it, I think it was Matthew 13, that on these two is all of the commandment, everything rested on. Because if you love, you won't lie. If you love, you won't steal. If you love, you won't hate. If you love, you love God. You will not give up. You will not. I will not sin with my body. I won't be immoral. I will not do. If I love him, I won't do the things that he doesn't like me to do. I mean, yes, we all know it now. When you love people, you 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 do the things that they they they, they, they you know you, you you don't hurt them. You don't do things that you know would hurt them that they wouldn't want you to do. Wow, and I think this is really powerful. I'm really getting a lot from this. Anyway, so I'm just going to leave this here. Love never fails. I wish. I pray for all of us, myself and all, any of all of us listening, that the Lord will help each and every one of us to get to that place where we fully understand his word and that we can walk in this love in the way that he has, um, he intends us to. The book of Romans chapter 5 verse 5 says, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It also says, I think... Um, Jude also, Jude 20 also tells us we can pray, you know, we build up our, on our holy faith by praying in the Holy Ghost. I, I believe that as we, we pray in the Holy Spirit, we talk with him, with him, he will stir up that gift of love in our hearts and show us how we can express it more and more every day. I really need that Holy Spirit, so please help me so that I can walk in this love. I need you to teach me because I haven't been taught. I wasn't, I haven't been taught, it's just the truth. So I need you to teach me, starting from today, how I can begin to walk more in love with God and with people around me in Jesus name.